Our character is basically a composite of our habits because they are consistent, often unconscious patterns. They constantly, daily express our character. Stephen Covey. Welcome back to the Intentional Leader Podcast. I'm Cal, and we are on episode 61. I'm pumped to have you here. We are all about helping you lead yourself, helping you inspire other people, and helping you make the world a better place one person at a time. We release a new episode every two weeks, and I hope that this can be a community to help you stay focused and to help you find inspiration in an often challenging world. I hope I don't sound too weird this morning. I am dying from allergies. I live in North Carolina and the pollen is out and I am struggling. Thankfully, you can't see me because my eyes are red. My daughter just brought me some Kleenexes. My sweet, just now seven-year-old hooking me up. But I hope you're doing well. Hopefully, you are in a part of the country or part of the world where you are not experiencing what I am. Or maybe you're just immune. Like some of these folks I see, I'm like, man, I wish I was like you right now. But hey, I hope you're doing well. I want to give a special thank you to all of you that have shared this podcast with a friend who have taken a few minutes to rate or review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Because of your constant support, we continue to experience amazing growth, which is exciting because it allows us to impact more people. And that's what it's all about. And I think we have some meaningful content to offer you today, some very meaningful content today, and some awesome content that I think will really add value to you throughout the year. Today's episode is brought to you by Higher Echelon Incorporated. Higher Echelon is a leadership development and organizational performance consulting firm providing human capital and technology services to optimize your performance. Higher Echelon can help prepare your organization to meet the rapidly changing, complex, and often ambiguous requirements of today's world by developing resilient and adaptive leaders, modernizing and enhancing your processes, and implementing transformational technology solutions. Go visit higherechelon.com to connect with the amazing team at Higher Echelon, including Dr. Joe Ross, and learn more about how they can help you and your team. Don't do it alone. I remember, I mean, gosh, now we're in April of 2021, which blows my mind, but I remember the beginning of the year, excited about my goals, ready to accomplish them. And it's tough. It's tough when when life gets busy, your team, it, it's leadership is tough. So go go seek the help of people who do this for a living, who consult for a living, who can bring the science behind high performance and organizational health to your team. Go check out Higher Echelon. They're a great team. Today, I am extremely excited to bring you my conversation with retired four-star general, General Joseph Votel. He is amazing. I've admired General Votel from a distance for years, and it was really incredible to get to sit down with him for an hour to pick his brain on life and leadership. And despite everything that he's accomplished and continues to accomplish, he was incredibly humble, down to earth, and approachable, which is always nice. You know, you admire someone from afar, but then you get to meet them and spend some time with them. And just, I was blown away by the leader that he is. He really gives us a masterclass on this episode on organizational leadership and personal management from over 40 years of experience. He currently serves as the president and CEO of 
Business Executives for National Security, BENS, which is a national nonprofit composed of senior business and industry leaders who volunteer their time and expertise to assist the U.S. national security community. Before retiring from the military, General Votel served as the commander of Central Command, which you'll hear us refer to as CENTCOM throughout this conversation. As the commander of Central Command, he led the fight against the Islamic State in Iraq and the Levant, which you've heard as ISIS or ISIL, and this rose to prominence back in 2014. During his time in command, they saw the territorial collapse of the Islamic State in Syria. He also commanded the U.S. Special Operations Command, also known as SOCOM, and he commanded the Joint Special Operations Command, which you'll hear us refer to that as JSOC. And if that's not enough cool stuff, he also commanded the 75th Ranger Regiment during Operation Enduring Freedom in Afghanistan. In 2001, as the commander of the Ranger Regiment, he jumped out of a perfectly good airplane with 200 rangers towards an airfield south of Kandahar in an operation known as an Operation Rhino and attacked several Taliban targets. On this episode, we cover a lot of ground. We discuss the leaders that he admires the most, some of the most important leadership lessons that he's learned from working with people like Secretary Jim Mattis, General Retired Stanley McChrystal, and Admiral William McRaven, what he looks for most when he's hiring someone to join his team or his organization, what is most unique about the special operations community that he's worked with for so long long, how he stayed sharp for over 40 years in his career, and we get into a lightning round of questions at the end, which is a lot of fun. For show notes, go visit my website, calwalters.me. Reach out to me and let me know what resonates with you, and I'll be sure to pass it on. Without any further ado, please enjoy this conversation with the incredible leader, General Joseph Votel. Well, General Votel, thank you so much, sir, for making the time to be here today. I'm really excited to to have you on. Cal, it's, uh, it's great to be with you. Thanks for the invitation. It's such a privilege to talk to someone who has such a tremendous amount of leadership experience, decades in the military at the highest levels, especially of the special operations community under high pressure situations. We're going to unpack a lot of that today, but I'd love to start by just asking you about some of the leaders that you admire the most. I mean, obviously you've seen a lot of leaders, you've learned, I'm sure, from a lot of leaders. Who are some leaders that just really stand out to you as you think about kind of the epitome of leadership? So uh, that's a it's a great question, and uh, I think about it a lot. And and uh, you know I've had the, had the fortunate opportunity to work with guys like Secretary Mattis and Stan McChrystal and Bill McRaven, and I think we're going to talk a little bit about them uh, a little bit later here. But uh, you know, but it but it really you're really influenced by lots of people. So I, I would share three three individuals with you who had a pretty huge impact on me as a military officer and as a person. And first and foremost is, um, is a gentleman by the name of Command Sergeant Major retired Bill Thetford. Bill was my Command Sergeant Major from the time I was at JSOC all the way through the time I retired as a CENTCOM commander. We were actually together for eight years, which is actually longer than the average American marriage, if you can, if you can believe that. But Bill, uh, you know, Bill is a longtime veteran of the uh, of the um, special operations community and serving a lot of our special mission units. But he exudes this calm, collected, easy mannered, well reasoned approach to leadership and interaction with the people that he's around. And and uh, you know, he just uh, he just was a wonderful to be around. He was just a real trusted trusted uh, partner for me as we navigated a lot of a lot of you know several different commands and a lot a lot of different situations and so you know bill is certainly right up at the top of the list um 
Secondly, I would say the the uh, the person that I followed in this position where I am right now, a business executive for national security, uh, was a gentleman by the name of Nordy Schwartz. And he's a retired Air Force general. And he was a former chief staff of the Air Force. And so I, I never actually served under his command. We served uh, in similar organizations at the various times here. Uh, but uh, I came to know him. And, and what, what I really appreciated about him was just kind of this very humble, noble, civil uh, tone that he took to everything that he was doing. He was a real role model for not only for me, but for generations of officers who, you know, at, at times of turbulence, uh, you know, could look to him as kind of a, a beacon of how you should how you should conduct yourself going through these things. So Nordy is right up there. And the last person I would uh, I would throw into this stack here is my wife, mm-hmm. my wife, Michelle. Um and she never served in the military, but uh, she is a leader in every every way. And she has a very unique ability to be hard when she needs to be hard. And she can put a boot in your rear or she can be soft when she needs to be soft. And that's 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 an acquired skill, I think. And she definitely she's very empathetic. Um, she gets along with people. She has a way of fitting into and being comfortable in every situation that she finds herself, uh, and 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 she oftentimes, um, you know, is the is the formal or informal leader in most of the groups in which she is. And so, you know, I, I think you get your inspiration from a lot of from a lot of different places. And certainly, those three individuals have had a pretty profound impact on me. That's so great. I'd like to ask you about Michelle. So. If you think about your leadership style and the leadership approach that you take, how do you think Michelle has influenced your leadership style the most? Well, I think um, I think you know she has a direct manner about her, which I really appreciate, and uh, I think that's very very good. She doesn't uh, uh, she and she is she is she is quick to confront things and and highlight uh, you know highlight where people are off or where there's where there's problems or, or more importantly where you need to put some focus. So I've I've, I've really appreciated that uh, with her, and and uh, while I would never you know she wasn't a member. Of of the chain of command or anything like that, but you know, uh, she 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 traveled often with me, particularly in the later part of my career, and she was certainly around families a lot and, and spouses, and and she really played this important role. You know, we always talk about the directed telescope, the idea of somebody down there kind of looking at things for you uh, and giving you a perspective on it. And to some extent, she played that role for me, and in, in kind of understanding the other the other aspects of of uh, of the organizations that we were part of, and and uh, you know, she kept me very leveled. Uh, she kept, you know, those in the organization very, very level. I think played a really, really important role as we as we pursued, uh, you know, our mission and the objectives of the different organizations that we were part of. You mentioned being direct with people, and I think sometimes that's something that me personally that I struggle with uh, because I'm a little bit more of a peacemaker, uh, and sometimes I'm worried about hurting people's feelings. How important do you think? It is for leaders to to have that willingness to be direct with people. I mean, I think it is important. Uh, you know, I mean, I, and, and you know, people people don't 
don't like conflict. They don't want to, nobody wants to be in tension-filled relationships or activities all the time. I mean, that's wearing down and it's frustrating and it works against what you're trying to do, but it's a, but it's a, but it's part of the, it's the nature of leadership. And, uh, you know, I think what, what, what I, what I learned from my wife, what I've observed from many others is that in many cases, you do have to have to address problems or, you know, areas of friction, you know, quickly, and you have to have to try to work through it and get get to the other side. And I, and I think oftentimes that, uh, that, uh, that just requires being a little bit more direct. You know, one of the things that uh, General McChrystal shared with me when I was when he was a regimental commander, ranger regimental commander, I was one of the battalion commanders and we were in a discussion about this one time. And he just said, you know, sometimes you just have to tell people, you just have to tell people what you want. You have to be direct with them. Um, so they're not guessing about what, what do you, what does this guy want me to do? Just, just be direct. Don't, don't let people guess about what you want or what your expectations are. And, and, and you can cut through and it doesn't mean you have to be controversial. You have to be peeing your face. I mean, there's, there's different ways you can do that. And you can, you know, you have to exhibit some emotional intelligence and understand the setting and, and, uh, and, and recognize that at the other end of this, you and this other person or you and this other organization actually have to move forward. And, uh, and so you have to, you have to think about it in the, with a long-term view, but, but I do think, uh, you know, developing an approach to being direct and, and and trying to confront problems, I think is an important skill for all leaders. And the one that's, you know, that I think takes a, takes a lifetime to develop. <clears throat> yeah. And I think, I do think mature people in an organization appreciate <clears throat> not having to guess. I think people who want to work hard, want to contribute, they just appreciate, Hey, tell me what you expect and give me clarity around the mission and the vision. And I will go, and contribute. I do think that that's, that's critical to success. So you mentioned General McChrystal, and I wanted to ask you about a few of these leaders that you spent some time with. Uh, you mentioned interacting with General McChrystal at the Ranger Regiment. I, I wonder if you could just kind of tell us a little bit of how, how, what was kind of the extent of, of that relationship. And then maybe one thing that maybe stands out to you most about General McChrystal as a leader. So I've uh, I've known Stan McChrystal for an awful long time, but uh, you know, I, <clears throat> as I mentioned earlier, he was the regimental commander when I was the first battalion commander, and and so we had you know regular daily interaction, and uh, and of course he was a huge he was a huge influence on everything that that organization did, and then I had opportunities to work for him later on, uh, you know, or support him when he was at JSOC or when he was in Afghanistan or other things where we where we worked for him. So I've, I have a lot of experience with them. But, you know, the thing that I, I really learned and appreciated about Stan McChrystal is, you know, is his, his ability to transform organizations and not just take bad organizations and make them better, but to take really great organizations and make them even greater. You know, uh, when, when, you know, he had this thing in the Ranger Regiment, you know, at the time, and, I'm, and I think they probably still have something similar to this, you know, things, everybody has to put their little tweak on things as they move, as we move on. But, you know, he, he, he got us all focused on what he referred to as the big four. You know, the, hey, there's four things we're going to focus on here in the Ranger Regiment. And they're the they're basics, but our, our, our goal is to master these things. You know, it's, you know, marksmanship, 
fitness, medical skills, and small unit, uh, small unit tactics, small unit drills. And his belief was if we could just master these things, this would give us the base for the organization. And it had a transformational effect on, on the organization. It cut out a lot of uh, extemporaneous stuff people were doing, and everybody focused on this. And we really became experts with it. And, 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 and you saw how the organization just got better. I mean, it wasn't just going to the range to qualify on your weapon it was really being skilled and you know you know introduction of stress shoots and all those types of things to really make people confident and competent in the things that they were doing and it had a transformational effect on the on the organization and again later is that as the jsoc commander he took an organization that is you know really well resourced uh, well peopled has a you know a great mission and a lot of support and did very very well at that but he transformed it for what what the nation needed at the time, which was, you know, kind of this exquisite uh, network to defeat a network. And he, you know, he was able to do that in, in his own, in his own, in his own time, in the time that he was in, in charge. And of course, it, it had not only a transformational effect on the organization, but it had a transformational effect on the army and, and the whole joint force. Everybody thinks like that now. Everybody thinks, yeah, you know, the enemy's got a network. We got to have a network kind of thing. And all the stuff that he brought to that, uh, it just, I think, is is uh, just absolutely critical. So this ability to you know to transform organizations, I think, is really the the skill that I'm, I'm, I'm one of the many skills that I appreciate about Stan McChrystal. What do you think? How do you think he did that? Well, I mean, obviously, do you think he just had a higher? Did he would he read more than other people? Did he spend more time thinking? Uh, I mean, what what do you think allowed him to maybe see that ability to transform an organization where others hadn't before? Well, you know, I think he did all those things you just cited. I mean, he's uh, he's obviously a student of the mm-hmm. of the discipline, and so he you know did all the work that he and that you know you would expect in that. But I think what he did. I think he looked at the idea of relevance and that you can't sit on your laurels that, you know, being at if you if organizations don't continue to grow, then they then they plateau and eventually uh, you begin to decline and you become less relevant. Uh, And so I think that's what he was really I think I, I, I don't know. I've never really actually had this discussion with him, but I really think that that's what it was, is that he this was about organizational growth and and. And 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 being relevant to the situation uh, that we were in, um, you know the the whole thing with 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 JSOC. I mean, it's it's great to have this exquisite. Uh, capability that you use for, you know, very unique missions. But, uh, you know, the situation at the time required uh, required something different. It required an organization that didn't just, you know, uh, that's not our mission set here. We don't do that. There's other people who do that. It required an organization that was all in and, uh, and, and really went after the network, uh, you know, these terrorists that we were dealing with in both Afghanistan and Iraq at the time. And, and so he saw the need. He saw the importance for relevance. He saw the need for continued growth. And, he, you know, so that was the first thing. And then I think he, you know, he, uh, he was an inclusive leader and he, he, he sought input from the people that, that worked for him and that were below him. And they saw what he was trying to do and he brought them into it. So, you know, at the same time, he's, he's driving things from the top. He's also bringing people along from the bottom and making it, making them feel very included in the, in the solution and really own, own the solution. I mean, he's a very, uh, very downward focused commander in terms of in trusting and empowering 
uh, leaders below them to, you know, to, to help create change. It's so neat to hear you talk about that, especially knowing the jobs that you've done uh, and the leadership roles that, that you've filled and the mindset that I'm sure you've had in those, in those roles. I want to ask you also about Admiral McRaven. You spent some time with him. I wonder if you could just tell us too, where, when you kind of cross paths with him and some of the things that stood out mm-hmm. to you most about his leadership. So I, I think uh, Bill and I first met when I was a, a colonel and maybe at the Ranger Regiment. And he was, you know, obviously been a name of special warfare. And he came back to, uh, came back to uh, uh, JSOC as a, as a one star. And, and uh, we had some interaction because I had went off to the 82nd. So about that time. So, you know, probably the 2006, 2007 timeframe when we uh, started interacting here. Uh, and, and then I uh, obviously had a chance to serve with him on a couple of couple different occasions at JSOC when he was a SOCOM commander and I was a JSOC commander. And, um, and uh, so I've got to know him <clears throat> quite well. But again, you know, you look for these traits in different people. And, you know, I, I think uh, leadership is is a lot about looking, watching what other people do and learning from the learning from the mistakes they made, but also learning from the from the good skills that they exhibited. And one, you know, one of the many, many fine skills about about uh, Bill McRaven is this ability just to to exude confidence in, in virtually everything you do, and particularly in the hard things. I mean, think about this for a moment, Cal. Um, Bill, Bill McRaven's the guy who can convince a president in an election year to put it all on the line for imperfect intelligence, as good as it was, it wasn't, was never 100%, and put it all on the line and go, and go for it against and, and get bin Laden. He did that. He and, he and I think he did that largely because he was confident in his own abilities. He was confident in the force. And, 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 and by, by having that confidence, he made everybody else more confident that, yes, we can do this. We can do this. We can, we can manage the risk. We can, we can uh, orchestrate this and we can be successful. And, and I think it's a, it's a, I think it's just a wonderful lesson in the power of confidence and the power of, you know, of, of trusting your people and trusting yourself uh, to do, to do and, and over, you know, to overcome hard obstacles and challenges and, 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 and succeed on the other side. And, you know, so of the many, many qualities that are, you know, associated with Bill McRaven, to me, that's the one that really stands out. So if, if we were sitting in a room with Admiral mm-hmm. McRaven right now, what, what is it about him that projects confidence? Is it his, he's articulate, he just, he speaks well, it just, like, I'm just, I'm just kind of curious in a more specific way, what, what do you mean when you say confidence as it relates to Admiral McRaven? So, you know, let me, let me, let me, let me tell you a little story here. So, uh, you know, um, when I, when I replaced him at uh, when I replaced him at uh, SOCOM, I was promoted from three star to three star to four star officer, and I, I obviously had a great relationship with him, and I was having the opportunity to to succeed him again in a, in a really great organization. And as part of my preparation for this, I actually you know we sat down, and had a conversation, and I asked him, hey, what what advice do you have? for somebody that's about to, you know, go from three star to four star. What, what, what's your advice for me? And uh, of course I was <clears throat> expecting, oh, okay, this is it. I'm, this is the burning bush now is really going to, I'm going to, this is it. I'm going to, this I'm going to learn everything. <laughs> what he said to me was, 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 was startling, but it was, it was, it was very typical Bill McRaven. What he said was this, he said, I'll, I'll tell you what, Joe, he said, here's, here's some advice for you. Call every four star 
that you know by their first name on the first day, uh, first day you're promoted. And I'm going, at first I, I thought, what, what would he talking about? And then I thought about it for a second. But, you know, what he's basically telling you is, is be confident. Mm. You've arrived. You have a place at the table. So act mm. like it. Mm. Be, you know, that, that, that's, that's, that to me is the ultimate, uh, you know, one of the ultimate examples of confidence. Be confident in yourself and the things that you're that you're doing. You're you're at you're in a you're in this position because you, you know, you're ready for it. You're you know, people have chosen you for this, so be confident in what you're doing um, with that. So you know, a very simple little uh, statement right there, but it, you know, it was really really powerful for me, and it took me a second to think through it, and that's that's what he was telling me to do, and I think it's quintessential Bill McRaven. I love that. And it makes me think of kind of my view of humility. And it's not thinking of yourself less, but thinking, not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And I think, uh, you know, Patrick Lencioni talks a lot about that, this idea of, you know, knowing your strengths, knowing that you do bring some, something to the table. Obviously you have weaknesses just like everyone, but a willingness to kind of lean into, your, your ability. And, and obviously if you're in that position, you, you should have some confidence in who you are in your team. So that, that, that's such a wonderful insight. Thanks for, for sharing that. And I want to ask you about secretary Mattis, uh, obviously not a lot. Most everyone knows of him. You've had some opportunities to work directly with him. And the same thing, I'm just curious if you could tell us kind of how you all cross paths and what really stood out to you about secretary Mattis. So the first time I met Secretary Mattis, he was uh, Major General Mattis, and he was uh, commanding the Marine Corps Combat Development Center down at uh, Quantico. And uh, I was uh, a brand new one star, and we were testifying together over in uh, in Congress on on the ID problem. I was representing kind of the Army and the Joint Task Force, and he was there in kind of his Marine Corps role. And we were so that was really the first one of the first interactions that I had with them. And then I and then I. I had then I had a number of opportunities to work with him, work for him uh, before. Uh, uh, certainly, when he was the CENTCOM commander, I was a JSOC commander, I was a task force commander for him, and and so got to know him and worked with him very very closely with that. And then, of course, at the time that he was the Secretary of Defense and I was the uh, CENTCOM commander, I got to, uh, obviously very very close with him. So a lot of a lot of great uh, a lot of great interaction with. Uh, uh, with Secretary Mattis, um, you know, and I think uh, there's again, there's there's a there's a a litany of great qualities that you can talk about. But you know, what I would just share with the audience here, with you, and with kind of with the listening audience, is that you know, the one thing I took away from from him that I never forgot was this idea of command and feedback. And uh, and I'll explain a little bit. So when uh, when Secretary when General Mattis was retiring from uh, from uh, uh, CENTCOM, we, I invited him to come and talk to the, to all the commanders at JSOC and, and, uh, we weren't sure he's going to be able to make it up to Fort Bragg. So we actually moved our whole commanders conference down to, down to Tampa. So we, we <laughs> made it easy for him because we wanted him to come and talk to us. And so we did, and he came and we had a, a you know, wonderful discussion, but, you know, he really, he, he articulated that at this time, this idea of command and feedback. And, and the discussion is kind of this, is that, you know, oftentimes as military officers, we think about command and control, but the fact of the matter is we command, we influence, we provide direction, that type of stuff, but there isn't a lot that we're controlling in the environments in which we're operating in. 
And so his his uh, consensus was here was that what you have to have is you have to have commanders who command, but you also have to have these feedback loops between different levels of command. That's this constant flow of information back and forth that is always informing the situation and keeping people informed. And, and when you're working through challenging and uncertain situations, this is how you get people aligned. I, I tell you, that really resonated with me. And it resonated with everybody in the room. And it really became from that point forward, it became the foundation for how I tried to how I tried to interact in, in organizations that that I was part of. And I and I, you know, shamelessly uh, borrowed his phrase, a command and feedback and tried to tried to implement it and, and do it because I thought it made so much sense that if you could just get people aligned. If you could get the people below you to 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 un, you know to have a common understanding, a common awareness of what's going on, a common expectation of how you're going to act, and then you could do that with people above you, boy, then you really got something. Then then you can start to connect the dots, and you can ride this wave that occurs as you're dealing with uncertain and turbulent situations because people are people are kind of aligned. They know what's going on. They they have good situational awareness. They know what you're thinking. They know how you're going to act. Uh, so that I really believe in this idea of command and feedback. And it's something that I, you know, from the point from the first time I heard uh, Secretary Ma uh, Secretary Mattis articulated that way, something I really grabbed onto. So, you know, that was the that was the main thing that I took away. He always emphasized, even as the as the Secretary of Defense, it was really important. And I I used to send him voluminous weekly uh, updates. I'm uh, you know, I, and I admit you know that's how he use a reader, and so we tried to optimize that for him. But it, but the whole idea was that was I'm making sure again, no guessing about what Hotel and Centcom are doing. Uh, it, it, here's what we're doing. We we want to be aligned with you. So to me, this is a really important concept. It's one that I you know I continue to try to practice now as I'm kind of out of the military. But it certainly was one that influenced me then. Practically speaking, how do you? How do you do that? So you, I envision a, you know, giving guidance, but how do you create a feedback, whether it's a culture or a sequence where people just expect like, Hey, they're going to give you feedback. I'm just wondering if you could give for the leaders out there. Cause I love that concept. It just might, the next question I go to is what practically might a leader go do in their organization to start to apply that? Sure, there are there are a number of things. I mean, I think it is about. I think you got to have you got to have an appreciation for unit culture and how the unit thinks about itself, and you know, kind of what's its inner what's its inner drive and what gets it done. It's important to understand that. You know, in the in the soft community, you know, we kind of think of ourselves as quiet professionals. That kind of that idea kind of pervades the uh, pervades the organization. So you know, organizational culture, I think, is is an important part of it. Relationship building is an important. part part of it. Um, and so, you know, the, the more senior I became as a, as a leader, as a commander, the more time was invested in building relationships. I, I think really, you know, by the time I finished as a CENTCOM commander, it, it would not be uh, an overestimate to say that, you know, between you know, 70, 75, maybe 80% of my time was spent in relationships, maybe even a little bit more than that. I mean, that's really what it was about connecting to people and, you know, just staying in contact and keeping them informed and, mm. and, uh, and understanding that. So relationship building is, is important. Trust building is, is important as well. And you've got to find ways to, to create 
mutual trust between different levels of command. People below you have to trust that you have their back. And likewise, people above you have to trust that they're not going to get surprised by you. Um, these are, I think, really important uh, concepts. You got to be a great communicator. I, you know, I, I said in jest here, you got to be an effective communicator, I should say. You know, not everybody's a great communicator, but yeah, can be a you can be an effective communicator. I said in jest here that you got to you know that we used to send I used to send voluminous updates every week to Secretary Mattis. Well, that's that's how you that's that's a way he communicated. He read. He was a reader. He read history. He didn't have any problem. You know, he, every now and then you'd get a little a little complaint about the, your lengthy update last week. But I got to tell you what, he read it every time and commented on it. And usually did it all within about twenty four hours. Um, so that's that's the feedback loop right there. So you, you've got to do all those things kind of simultaneously. I think you got to you got to you got to uh, you know reinforce culture. You got to trust build. You got to strengthen relationships. You got to be an effective communicator. You got to you got to work the feedback loops uh, all the time. And, and it isn't this isn't a sometime thing. It's an all the time thing. You got to you got to have you got to be always trying to make people uh, up and down aligned with uh, with what's happening out there. And, and when you can do that, effectively and i don't you know and, and again you just always a struggle you're never going to be perfect um but you know we're, we're striving for progress in all of this and when you can do that i really think it really helps it really helps the organization and it helps the chain of command and to me it's it's the embodiment of command and feedback one more follow-up on that so let's say in your organizations would you tell people hey i want you to give me feedback every week, or I want you to give me feedback every couple of days, or mm-hmm. was it, it was it kind of in the context of the relationship, it was just obvious how yeah, often it, you wanted feedback. Yeah, it's much more in the context of the relationship. You know, all, okay. all my subordinate commanders sent normal, sent normal reports. They called, we talked, we had battle rhythm events uh, and stuff like that. But it became a culture, I think, which we're trying to create a culture where we were sharing information that it was seen as beneficial to keep your to keep your higher headquarters in, informed. And likewise, you know, to keep the lower headquarters informed. You know, there was an incident that took place in, in Syria in, and, um, gosh, I want to say it was in the spring of, uh, of 2018. I may be off a little bit here. Um, you know, there was a, we were beginning to, the campaign had moved down into the, uh, into the lower Euphrates Valley. And, uh, we had a, we had a, we had a, uh, a soft commander on the ground who was playing pretty good heads up ball. And he was, he was picking up information that indicated that there was a, kind of a large concentration of what appeared to be Russian, Syrian, you know, maybe, you know, Iranian or Shia uh, militia groups on the other side of the, of the river who were seemed to be kind of posturing to come across and penetrate through the area where we were. And, uh, and what he, he started picking up and he started moving that information and he passed it up and it got to me and I took it to the chairman and the secretary and made sure they knew. And, and we did a variety of things. I mean, we even, we even actually got the chairman at the time to call general Garasimov to say, Hey, what's going on with this? And, and, uh, and so we, we, you know, we had this very good situational awareness of something, something's changing out here. And, and of course, you know, uh, in emphasizing that, you know, we, we, you know, you have all the, all the authority you need to, to, you know, to defend yourself and protect your troops and, you know, protect your organization here and emphasizing, um, you know, self-defense aspects. And, and lo and behold, 
exactly what this young officer identified happened. Uh, this this force attempted to come across, and and he uh, very quickly because he knew he had, he'd passed all this up. He responded uh, properly, made decisions on the spot, harnessed ISR and fire support, and, and administered a pretty severe beatdown on this organization right here. Uh, and, you know, I, again, I don't know that we ever know what the final, uh, you know, BDA on this was. I mean, some of the numbers I've seen is, you know, somewhere between 150, 200 uh, fighters on the other side killed. But the fact that we were able to communicate up and down I think kept us from being an international incident. We, I mean, we'd actually, we'd actually done that, and we'd actually reached out to the Russians at multiple levels, and we had our our chain of command all fully informed on this. And so, you know, to me, that's that's a that's a good example of how you do it. And but it, but people got to buy into it, and this 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 young officer, you know, clearly did. That's great. Well, thanks for sharing all that. And I want to I want to transition. This is a question that I'm just really curious about for you because you've you've seen so many people as you've you, throughout your career you've seen so many high performing people. So what what qualities do you personally look for when you're looking for someone to join your team? So let's say me or someone else I'm sitting in front of you in an interview or in some type of assessment. What are you looking for the most when you want to bring someone onto your team? Yeah, I think the thing uh, I think the thing I'm most focused on is organizational fit. How does this person fit into the organization? And I think to me that's that's actually the most important piece. And you know, I, I think you obviously are going to screen for other things, just other qualities and experience and competence and uh, those type of things come. But you know, what I find is uh, you know uh, you you find a lot of people that have all those kind of qualifications and you know on paper. Um, are, are pretty well qualified for the positions that you're considering. And there probably are, you know, varying shades of gray between them. But what I think it really kind of comes down to is how does this person fit into the organization? How will they support the culture of the organization? How will they interact with others? Uh, will they be will they be a team approach? Can, will they be a source of friction in the organization? Will they cause tension? Will they relieve tension? Um, how what's their general temperament here? Uh, you know, to me, that's that's really that's 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 an important aspect. And then, you know, how how can they enhance the mission and objectives of the organization? Um, you know, by being part of the part of the organization. And so, you know, for me, Cal, it really does come down to, you know, this idea of organizational fit. How does some, how does somebody fit, fit into it? Do you think that's something that you can find out through a traditional interview or is it typically take more than something just like a sit down asking questions? Yeah, I think it is. I think you can, I think, you know, uh, it, as you know, as you move on, you you get uh, you know gain experience, and you you know intuition counts for a lot, instincts count for a lot uh, for me, and so I think you can get a lot out of that. Interestingly, one of the things that I've seen here and on the outside with uh, one of the organizations that I I work with here is uh, is is actually you know including kind of a uh, you know an opportunity for for somebody that you think is going to 
going to fit in the organization to actually have a have a session with the other with with his other contemporaries, his or her contemporaries in the organization, where they just kind of sit down. And then you can get a little feedback that way. Uh, that that I, I saw that done. I had not necessarily seen that before, but I thought it was an extraordinarily good process, and uh, and I think it helped us make some very very good decisions about people coming into the organization. Um, and and I and I think it directly uh, um, supported this idea of organizational fit. It's not not delegating decision making to others, but you know, getting other sources of input um, into into your decision here. Uh, to me, that was really really helpful. You spent a lot of time in the special operations community, and that's not something that I've experienced firsthand. And obviously, a lot of people see see on the movies, what that looks like. A lot of people are interested in that. You have firsthand experience. I'm, I'm curious if you could just share with us, what what is it like behind the curtain? What is the special operations community like? And, and what do you think really sets them apart from some of the other organizations that we're probably maybe more familiar with in the, in the traditional army? Yeah, thanks. Uh, it's, it's a it's a good question, and uh, I'll caveat it just by saying this up front: is that um, you know I've had a chance to see a lot of organizations, special operations, and others, and there's there's a lot of great organizations out there, and being a special operations in SOCOM or being a soft organization isn't isn't uh, just your guarantee that it's a great organization. Great organizations are, are the result of organizational culture and the result, the result of great leaders who keep the organization moving forward in a, in a positive manner and great people who believe in the organization. So you know, those kind of ingredients are really important everywhere. And, uh, and, uh, and I've really had the opportunity to see Superior organizations who weren't were miles away from SOCOM, but they boy they were they were spot on for that. So I just want to say that up front. You know, I think one of the things that uh, that uh, that I always appreciated about the soft community is that uh, you know the members of the of the soft community had a very refined. Uh, understanding of their culture, the culture of the organization. You know what what were the values? What, what were the beliefs? What were the principles that kind of you know kind of drove the organization? What was the internal engine that that, that kind of drove drove the organization and, and how they how they how they approached challenges that they were dealing with and how they saw their role and things. And uh, to me, this was. Uh, this was this was very refined in the in the in the special operations community, and it gave people a real sense for how they how they how they fit into things and the role that they played. And uh, you know, I think the example that I would that I would just kind of share with you is that uh, you know, from my time at JSOC as the commander uh, there, you know, we 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 really kind of thought of ourselves as. As accelerants, as accelerators, if you will, that you know it was it was our job to kind of see what was happening out there and then start moving forward with it. And in, and in the process of moving forward on something, an opportunity is to bring people along with you and, and help create uh, momentum and you know uh, and inertia as you're moving forward uh, on these things. And and so you know that was really uh, kind of a kind of a, an aspect of the organization. We all. Kind of thought of ourselves that hey, if we don't we don't we don't move forward on something, uh, then then maybe 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 we'll miss the opportunity. So we really kind of thought of ourselves as 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 uh, 
as being able to do that. And in many regards, I think we were we were successful in doing that. So I think that you know the first thing here is that um, is that they really really believed in the in the organizational um, you know culture of the organization. I think the second thing is that the really great organizations, particularly in the soft community, really uh, you know understand and enforce high standards in the organization. Uh, this is really important. I mean, uh, you know, the fact that most of our our special operations organizations have an assessment process that people go through. You don't promote you don't normally just show up and become some a member of the organization. You go through something that. Uh, that uh, you know is a is a is a demonstration of standards, is a demonstration of qualifications, uh, and then that's that's kind of your your that's one of the key pieces of your entry into the organization. I think that was I think that's a really important aspect of 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 the, of the special operations community, and I think it helps engender trust among members uh, and confidence in in other members in the organization that you've been through a. Uh, kind of a common, <clears throat> a common process to get there, and that, frankly, that assessment is a continuous process. <laughs> that it's you know it's one thing to to get there. I remember uh, you know when I was the regimental uh, commander, and we'd go to the to the graduations of new RIP students that were coming into the uh, the sergeant major Wally Rakow would always say to them, "It said the easy part. You just completed the easy part, getting your beret. <laughs> the hard part is keeping it." And uh, and and that's so true. And that you know that that good organizations are self policing and they enforce standards and they they keep things uh, they keep things moving forward. So you know, to me, those were two things that really stood out about uh, you know about soft organizations that I that I that I really really liked. And and while you know I'm talking about them and the uniqueness of of special operations, I I, I think there are I, I'm I'm very certain there are other organizations. Who aren't so calm that that do that? And I think these are these are really characteristics of great organizations. What did you do to keep yourself sharp? So you you led for forty years uh, and continue to lead uh, even after retiring from the military. Uh, any yeah. any tips for the leaders out there just on sustaining yourself for that long and keeping yourself able to operate at such a high level? Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, I'd offer a couple of thoughts here for you. One, I think, uh, you know, developing some good habits that you can follow every day, I think are really important. I mean, uh, if you're in the military, you know, you, you generally learn to do your PT early in the day and because that's the one time you control. But, uh, but I, you know, I think developing habits for fitness, taking care of yourself uh, are, are, are really important. Developing habits for reading, for how you get your information every day. I, I still today have a, you know, kind of call through the different, uh, you know, news aggregators and other things that I go to, to to get my information. And I generally try to do that early in the day. So I kind of have that you know, at, at the ready for, for whatever comes next, um, um, you know, connecting with people, uh, you know, and, and, you know, making, you know, being routine and those kinds of things, I think are really, really, really important. So, you know, I think the, the first thing is just, just, you know, don't be afraid to establish habits for yourself that you can repeat all the time. For me, that was really, that was really important. I, it was so important that, uh, you know, as the, as the JSOC and SOCOM and CENTCOM commander, I used to have a rule with my, my personal staff. I called it the, you know, the 10.5 hour rule. And that was at the end of the day, whatever the end of the day was, 
10.5 hours later, we'll start the next day. And what I was trying to do was send a message that, hey, I got to have time to, uh, I got to have time to clean off email and work. I got to have time to eat. I got to have time to, you know, do PT and I got to have time to sleep. And, you know, through some convoluted process, which I would have trouble explaining to you right now, I came up with this thing of 10.5 hours. So don't schedule. Don't once we, I don't care when we finish, we finish eight o'clock, we finish at midnight. 10.5 hours when we start the next day. And to me, that was kind of my way of enforcing the habits, the routine, if you will, that kind of, you know, kept you rejuvenated and kept you informed and kept you healthy, um, and, you know, and, and, and took care of, you know, sustaining yourself. And so, you know, I think you have to, you know, that was kind of my little approach to it. I, you know, I, when every time I had to explain that to every group of new aides and XOs and other things I had, they all are going, what the hell are you talking about? And then, and then they understood it when they saw what it, you know, that how it, how it worked, but uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta kind of enforce that kind of stuff. And, you know, routines are important and you gotta, you gotta kind of enforce those things. I think the other thing, Cal, that I would share with you is that you have to take time to think. And, uh, you know, when you get into leadership positions, really at all levels, but, you know, especially, in the context of what we're talking about at senior levels here, you know, there's a lot going on and you're always find yourself in situations where you're having to make decisions and act and you're responding to things. Uh, and oftentimes you don't, if you don't create opportunities to think, then, um, uh, then I then I think you're missing something. And uh, this isn't sometimes, you know, some people can kind of shut their door and kind of put their feet up and arm, you know, hands behind their head and, and think, and great thoughts at their desk. That that was not me. What what I tried to do was in my own rhythm of things that I did in the organization was create opportunities for uh, for for thinking. And I did these by doing deep dives with different parts of the staff, or maybe just having conversations uh, with uh, with different parts of the staff. You know, so you know, just as an example, at CENTCOM, you know, every week on. Tuesday afternoon, we had kind of a J2 deep dive. And sometimes I would say, hey, this, here's a topic that I want, I want to know more about. And other, other times, and actually more times than not, they would select things that they thought would be of interest to me and that they wanted to, they wanted to talk about. And we, we would have a discussion about that. With the J5 group um, that I had, I had, a, I had a, a wonderful group of civilian thinkers in there at CENTCOM uh, who, you know, augmented, but we're, you know, partnered with the with the military officers we have there. And we just come in and talk about plans. We talk about different things that we were doing. And it was what it was, Cal, it was an opportunity to, to have a discussion about something without the burden of having to make a decision. Mm-hmm. And so we could just be informed. We could just talk about this kind of thing. And, and these were so important to me. And I really look forward to them. And you know, they went anywhere from an hour to sometimes the 90 minutes. Uh, you know, we used to bring people from the intelligence community down to CENTCOM and just have a discussion about about different things. And, and they bring people that brought a lot of a lot of depth and understanding of the thing. And it was just a way of, of just kind of immersing yourself and getting deeper in things and really kind of forcing yourself to think through things without the burden of having to make a decision, because the burden of making the decision oftentimes 
drives leaders to be expedient, to look for shortcuts, to look for the bottom line. And oftentimes you miss a lot when that's always your approach. So, you know, to me, these were really important. And I think they really inform, they really support this idea of, uh, of command and feedback, frankly. I mean, about people getting in the line. I mean, my, I, I really felt my, at, uh, at CENTCOM, my staff and I were pretty well aligned. We didn't agree on everything, but we were within, a, we were within an acceptable uh, range of alignment here where we where we basically, you know, understood things about the same, same, uh, and had, had the same awareness. And that was really, really important. So, you know, those two things, habit, habit building and enforcement, and then making time to think, I think are really, really important things that kind of sustain you over time. That's so good. Uh, what did you, what did you label those meetings? How did you communicate to the staff? We're not making a decision. We, we just are going to come and either discuss a topic or think about something, wrestle with something. I, I, I think we just, I, you know, I, I didn't have a whole lot of imagination on this. So, you know, it was, uh, it was just deep dives or okay. you know, we're going to have a, you know, a, you know, just a, a session with the, with the J five. We're just going to, we're going to talk about things. I, I don't, I don't know that we had any, any particular catchy name to it. It just, that's just what it was. And I, what I tried to make clear up front is that, Hey, listen, I, I don't, we, I know we got a battle rhythm here. We know how to make decisions. And at those times I got it. If we got to do that, we'll do that. But what I really need is I need the opportunity to have discussions, get a lot of viewpoints, ask questions and, and, and get, get deep understanding. And I need to do it without having to worry about at the end of this, making a damn decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just yeah. need to, we just need to have the discussion. It was really important to me. That's really <clears throat> insightful. And I want to ask you about your routine, your habits a little bit. So do you have a pretty strict morning routine or is there some variability in, in the morning routine, in the, in the 10.5, is there some, is there some flexibility? It's, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, uh, like many, I'm a, I'm a creature of my of habit. And so I, you know, I kind of, I, you know, I, I kind of do this. I kind of do the same thing every day. I'm an early riser. Uh, you know, when, when our dog was alive, we would go for a little walk and I'd get coffee and then I'd go in and I'd usually, you know, as a CENTCOM commander or SOCOM commander, I'd go through the reports and emails and things that came in overnight. And, you know, I could usually, I got it down so I could do it in, you know, 30, 35, 40 minutes. And then once that was done, then I'd go off and do my PT um, and, uh, you know, you know whatever I was going to do there. And I usually spent somewhere between 60 and 75 minutes uh, uh, doing that. And then and then I got cleaned up and had, had breakfast usually at my home and then went to work. And then even when I got there, there were some very set things that I wanted. So I tried to get in the office about the same time, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. usually send common and up between. 7.15 and 7.30. So I'm an early riser. So I'm up by you know, 4.15, 4.30 usually. I mean, that's probably not atypical for people in uh, in, in in this line of business, um, as, you, as you know. And, and so, you know, what I wanted to, what I, you know, when I got to the office is like 7.30, 8 o'clock is my time. And I was just kind of getting myself set in my office. And then at 8 o'clock, uh, the Intel book came in and I always had an analyst and usually a J2 and one or two others came in and we had, we had about uh, uh, 20, 25 minutes to go through the highlights of kind of the classified stuff. And then 
after that, uh, I had, uh, and I, I did this at, at CENTCOM, and I wish I had started it earlier, but I actually, I brought in my public affairs office, I brought in my web ops officer, uh, and I brought in, uh, um, you know, kind of the information operations uh, uh, synchronizer, if you will, on my staff. So three individuals who came in and we we talked about those things. I got a little update on what was happening on the web. I got a little update that was happening on when the public affairs thing, and then I had my integrator right there and she kind of helped me make sense of all of that and so now i'm set and so now it's about a quarter to nine and i'm ready to go and then and then the day starts and uh and uh and, and then you're off to the run off to the thing and i usually tried to make sure i had a break at lunch so i again i could get myself caught up and make sure i was ready for the afternoon and the afternoon then you know you kind of scheduled a Kind of a deliberate stop time, especially when you're in office hours there, you know, usually tried to be done by five or five thirty and then kind of closed out. And then, you know, by six or a little bit after try to be out of the office when you could. And um, and um, and that, so, I, you know, the, the routine, I think, is important. Uh, it was important to me, at least. And uh, and uh, so uh, I, I think, you know, it um, might be a little bit, uh, you know, a little anal retentive in some of this, but uh, frankly, it worked for me. Yeah. I mean, I think too, just hearing you talk through it, I also think it's probably good for the team too. There's some, yeah, predicti- there's some predictability built yeah, in. absolutely that. is. They kind yeah. of knew what was going to happen uh, and, uh, and what the expectation was. And um, so I, you know, I think it does, I think it does help those around you as well. A couple just points of curiosity from what you just said. So are, are you pretty strict about what time you get to bed? Getting up so early? Uh, yeah, and I'm. I mean, I think we are usually somewhere between nine and ten. Usually, okay. Um, you know, I think if uh, my wife had her brothers, we'd we'd all be in bed by about eight fifteen every night. <laughs> uh, you know, she 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 likes to she likes to go to bed early. Uh, so I'm I'm blessed that way. But uh, uh, but yeah, we I try to try to get down by you know usually if I'm home now I'm you know sometimes between nine and ten we're usually we're usually down and because there's uh, there's always exceptions and all of this. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I think it's important. I have a, a regular time too. And then the 60 minutes or so of PT, do, do you have kind of a go-to type of workout? Are you a more of a runner CrossFit mix? Yeah, I'm a, I would say I'm a runner and that, yeah. that that's always kind of been my base thing. I know I'm now kind of cut back on that. And so I'm, you know, I do bike and I got a couple other things. I got a rowing machine and some other things. So I can mix that up and I kind of have a routine in terms of that. So I'm usually every other day I'm running and then I, I do a lot of biking on the other days, static, static bike. And then I kind of throw in some, some, some of that. And I do light weights. I'm, um, I'm, I'm a shadow of the man that I previously was, uh, when I, back in, back when I was great, um, <laughs> you know, back when you, you're bulletproof as a captain and major and everything else. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it just, I mean, to me, it's about overall fitness and again, it is, it's, to me, it's less about the workout and more about the, you know, the workout up above your neck, above, above, uh, clearing your, clearing your brain and thinking about what's ahead of you. And, and I just find I do a lot of my best thinking and uh during that period mm-hmm. well sir i i know we're running out of time here i wanted to ask you just a few kind of lightning round questions if uh if you have the time sure, um, absolutely so the first one i have is your top marriage or relationship <laughs> advice 
Yeah, so uh, that's, a, that's a good one. So my wife always says, uh, usually says it to me, says everybody's entitled to their own ridiculous opinion. And uh, so my, I guess my top marriage advice is this, pick your battles carefully. Um, there's, uh, there are very few things that very, very few, if any, things that require the nuclear option. And most things can be resolved uh, with time and or discussion. Um, so pick your pick your battles, uh, you know, very judiciously here in terms of things that you're going to that you're really going to make a stake over. And, and uh, marriage, like many other things, is about compromise. It's about moving forward together uh, in that. And, and that's uh, I think what is I think that's been an important aspect of, of our marriage. Mm, that's so good. Uh, top parenting advice. Another good one. All kids are different. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, uh, our two boys, uh, who, you know, best friends growing up, great young men, um, each all had different paths in terms of how they were, where they went. One went right through college. One, you know, took, took, a, took a longer path through it. And, you know, what I came to recognize uh, with him was that, you know, in some cases, kids, kids aren't ready to go to they're just re- just not ready to go to college right out of high school, and in his case, it would have been a you know would have been a it would have been a good to let him do something else. He eventually you know got a degree and it's a great job and is doing doing very very well here. But you know uh, everyone's a little bit different, and as a parent, I wish I'd 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 appreciated that um, uh, better, more clearly at the time, and uh, and I've come to learn that over time. And so I think you have to recognize the. Um, uh, the differences in your own mm. children. That's really insightful. Um, all right, sir. Last one I have for you. Best piece of advice that you've received over the years. Well, I've actually told you that already. It's the advice from Bill McCraven uh, in terms of that, and I think that's uh, that's pretty good advice. But I think you know, I think a common theme, and I, I won't belabor that. But I think another common theme is. Uh, that you, that I've that I've gotten from several is is uh, you know don't don't forget what got you to where you are um, you know it it is about being a good good leader it is about being responsive to people it is about taking care of people don't don't lose that kind of uh, don't lose that focus as you continue to move higher and higher in positions of rank and responsibility here that don't don't lose sight of the things that 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 uh, that have made you successful and kind of uh, that people have valued in you and appreciated about you as, as you move forward and I, and I unfortunately have seen some leaders that have lost sight of that along the way and I, I think it's a really it's an important reminder it was a very important reminder of people to me because you often wonder man I'm, here I am I'm wearing stars and how did I get here how did people say you got here by the things that you've done that you did well along the way that inspired confidence in people to kind of help you keep moving forward don't lose sight of those things Hmm. sir that's amazing and sir thank you so much on behalf of the audience and all the listeners out there who are enjoying this conversation and enjoying these insights thank you so much for spending an hour of your time with us. I know you're a busy man and this has just been a masterclass on leadership and your perspectives are awesome and uh, excited to watch as you continue to lead at Ben's and uh, follow your journey, sir. Thanks, Cal. Great to be with you. Thanks for doing this and thanks for the invitation again. My best to you and to uh, all our viewers. 
Hey friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. 40 years of leadership experience shared with us. There were a lot of important takeaways for me. General McChrystal's ability to make a good organization even better by staying relevant, not resting on his laurels. Admiral McRaven's confidence, that ability to know and trust yourself and your team and that you belong where you are. Secretary Mattis's command and feedback through establishing feedback loops. General Votel described that practically putting that command and feedback into place required a focus on relationship and trust building. He talked about how he spent 75% of his time as the commander of CENTCOM in relationship building, a focus on culture and being an effective communicator up and down. I also loved his focus on building some good daily habits and him being consistent with those daily habits And I loved his idea of the 10.5 hour rule. So good. If if you got something out of today, I just want to ask you to do one thing. Hop on Apple Podcast, leave a review, letting me know what you thought. And I'll share that with General Votel and I'll give you a shout out on the next episode. I can't thank each of you enough for listening, for being part of this community. Thank you so much for putting in the time to grow, to become a better leader. Because when you become a better leader, people love to follow you. People love to be part of your team. And you make the world a better place. Remember that life is short. So let's go out today. Live an intentional life. Let's go make it count.